Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. And today I'm joined by guest Kardik Vadadi. Kardik, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. How'd I do on the soft tea? <laughs> not bad. <laughs> but not bad. All right. I'll keep trying. Uh, well, let's start off, if you could, by telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do to give them some context for this conversation. Sure. I used to work at Google. I worked there for almost nine years. Then I did a stint as an independent app developer, you know, trying to build and sell an app by myself to make a living. I then ran a startup called Future Cam for three years, bootstrapped. The tech part worked very well, but not the business part. What was it? It's called Future Cam. Future Cam. It's an iPhone camera app. I'll just uh, send you the link, which you can put in the show notes if that's okay. okay. Sure. How long were you there? Three years. After that, I ran a services company with the same team from the startup. After that, I took up a stint as a CTO. Okay. Along the way, I have advised maybe 20, 25 startups over the years. Okay. For the last year and a half, I've been working as a consulting CTO. And I've been listening to um, the show, mm-hmm. including all the back episodes. Very happy to be here for a change. <laughs> well, someone's going to be listening to you in a back episode. Awesome. Um, okay, so we've exchanged a couple of emails in advance of this. Uh, what what challenges are you facing? What can we talk about? What could we try and unblock? What are the main things on your mind? So the biggest um, thing on my mind is lead sources or marketing. Mm-hmm. Because once I'm talking to somebody, um, if they are uh, within the target audience, the sales part of it and the actual uh, delivery of the service, I've got it under control. Mm-hmm. But the lead gen part, the marketing part, Mm-hmm. is a bit of a challenge for me. So we'd love your insight there. Okay, great. Yeah, that's a pretty common challenge for people. Um, but you feel like once you get the right person on the phone, then you can close the deal if it's a good fit and delivery is no problem. Um, before we jump into leads, are you happy with the... How are you pricing deals that you close? So all the deals I've done in the past were hourly. Mm-hmm. And this is pre-ditching hourly. Right. Um, so nowadays, uh, I'm uh, offering fixed prices, mm-hmm. and I've uh, you know set up a bunch of packages on my website. If you want scalability, it costs a certain amount of money. If you want a company upgrade, which is where I diagnose what's going wrong in the company, be it tech, be it people, be it project management, mm-hmm. be it the culture, and I fix it. That package has a certain price. Got it. So I'm trying to come up with fixed prices nowadays. Though mm-hmm. um, early is still an option if I feel that it is too risky for me to offer a fixed price as we've discussed earlier. Sure. Okay. And are they, the packages, are they time boxed or is it kind of like a monthly amount and you'll just keep going month over month? Yeah, they're uh, both time boxed and scope boxed. So okay. scalability package, for example, lasts for six months and I'll be working only on scalability, anything that contributes to um, increasing the scalability, which is more users simultaneously on the servers as we know. Got it. Okay, yeah, perfect. Both ways. Great. Sounds good. And you're happy with that. You're happy with your pricing, it sounds like so. Uh, cool. Love to hear it. All right. So let's talk about leads. Um, you said that you are not having a problem closing deals if you get the right person on the phone. So who's the right person? The right person is a founder of a startup, which has raised at least a million dollars, which is typically seed or series A all the way till series C. Where do where might where do you normally find those folks? Like, how do they find you, or how does how does the relationship begin with you know? Say, if you think of the last client you had or the last couple of clients, 
Is there a typical way that those folks find you now? Sure. There are three lead sources that work for me. One is personal connections. The other is referrals from personal connections like second degree. Mm-hmm. And I did receive one inbound call connect that led to a substantial engagement. So these are the three lead sources that worked for me. Okay. I tried a whole bunch of things. Uh, should I go over them? These are the things that didn't work. Sure. So one is I got access to Traxen, which is a database of startups and companies where you can filter in various ways by revenue and by year of founding and so on. Mm-hmm. And I tried outbound and LinkedIn connections to companies that fit a certain profile. Mm-hmm. That didn't work. Maybe my message needs to be better, but whatever the reason, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. I am on various Slacks, such as there's an ex-Googler Slack. Mm-hmm. There's one for iOS engineers. There's a whole bunch of Slacks which I'm on. So when appropriate, I tried to kind of mention that I'm a consultant and, you know, uh, we could have a conversation, but that didn't work. I asked friends to post about me in various groups about entrepreneurship, be it Facebook groups, WhatsApp groups, Discord, Slack, whatever it may be, where I am not a member. Mm -hmm. So for example, a WeWork group in Bangalore. I talked to companies that are hiring a full-time CTO. And I tried to pitch my services there saying, what problems do you have? Would you like me to solve them in parallel with you hiring a full-time CTO? Mm-hmm. I listed on expert platforms like DeepBench. Okay. I tried to set up deals with other consultancies and you know agencies, like individual consultants and agencies both. I also tried talking to a few investors okay. to take either a portfolio services approach where they pay me and then I'm available to all startups you know, under their umbrella mm-hmm. or referrals. Okay. So these are the lead sources that didn't work. Okay. So let's jump back. Okay. That's excellent. And, and quite a number of things that you tried. Um, these are all things that do work or can work sometimes. So it's a good list. So I'll be interested to drill in and sort of quiz you about the, the specifics of some of them. But let's go back to your, your startup founder who's raised at least a million. Tell me more about that person. If you think back to your, your best clients, your most ideal clients where you felt like you hit a huge home run for them or they were really happy. Tell me more about those folks. Are they technical, non-technical, risk takers, uh, not risk takers? Are they, I don't know, are they, are they in the U.S.? Are they not in the U.S.? Like, tell me, tell me more about the best fit actual buyers, not the target market itself. Sure. They've all been in India and I'm looking to move out of India, specifically to the US and to developed countries in general. But so far, they've all been in in India. Um, They have been predominantly business founders and CEOs. In a minority of cases, CTOs have hired me, but primarily it's the business people. And they have raised funding. Now they are on the hot seat. They're supposed to deliver, they have problems. The problems can be the tech doesn't work properly, it crashes, it hangs, it's full of bugs. It can be project management, features are never delivered, the customers are yelling at us. Mm -hmm. It can be culture, we have attrition, even the people who are in the company are perhaps kind of um, uninterested in working in their problems and you know, the engineering team is unhappy, the business people within the company, not just the founders, but the business teams like the marketing team and the sales team are unhappy with the technical deliveries. They're like, why don't we get the deliveries on time? And why does it not work properly when it is delivered and all these things. So typically they have problems across the board and they're helpless. It's out of their skill set. 
they've tried a few things didn't work now they have the money and they don't have time so that's typically the situation in which i'm called in okay and uh, so they're on the hot seat because they need to start delivering and everyone's getting mad at them whether it's the investors their own team their customers beta customers whatever they might be um okay and how far like how far into the process are they you know what i mean like like how old is the company at this point do you think or not actually in in reality like your best clients how old was the company when you came on board so um if i think back to the two recent big engagements one of them was a company that was just getting set up this wasn't a startup mm-hmm. this was a company that was set up as a uh you know set up within a conglomerate that was a 20th century industrial company like a five decade six decade old company mm-hmm. they decided to branch out into tech and they set up like a separate company right. so in this case i was brought in as the company was being set up mm-hmm. and there were only the ceo and one or two people at that time in the other case the other engagement mm-hmm. it was a startup that was running for five years one of the investors bought out the uh, founders they basically kind of uh, the founders decided to pursue a different business strategy from what they were doing earlier and the investors said hey why do uh, like don't abandon what you have been doing because that itself has value if you are not interested do you mind if i continue running that so they kind of split the company into two and yeah so i was brought in maybe 6 to 9 months after the split happened mhm okay so no pattern really i mean like those two things that you just said are completely different <laughs> yeah but if i look at the uh, previous engagements the typical pattern is that the company has been around for a while like it's not just one year old they have had the time to try things and see them fail okay people who have not yet gotten around to trying things who are still you know on on the drawing board mm-hmm. typically they don't find the need for my service or at least that's how they perceive it they're like we'll just go ahead and execute after a year or two the execution isn't working that's when they call me yeah okay all right so tell me more about the type of startup that's the best fit for you so probably not a i don't know fast fashion brand i'm guessing like what it's it's i'm just guessing since you're an ex googler and you're talking about scale it's some kind of saas b2c saas b2c saas or yeah could be what yeah i mean could be b2b or b2c Mm-hmm. I worked in different sectors be it fintech be it developer tools and so on. Mhm. Um one of them for example was focused on mental health so it's really sector agnostic b2b b2c agnostic. Um and what was the other part of your question sorry? So but they're all technology based right? Absolutely technology is core to them. It's not like let's say a 30 year old bank that has a website and they have internet banking but but you know they are like a traditional company they're not competing based on their tech right they're competing based on their brand and their branch network there's a branch a kilometer from my house mm-hmm. so that's what they're competing on the once the people i work with tech is core if the tech doesn't work the company doesn't work okay and is it always well not even always but like best case scenario is this hardware based tech software based tech something in between all of them have been software except for one lead which didn't go anywhere but the ones i worked with were all software okay and are these like can you give us like more context there so is it like mobile apps is it what is it so yeah maybe i'll give you context both into the companies and what i did for them will that mm-hmm. help yes mm-hmm. 
Good. So yes, um, some of them have been uh, mobile apps. One of them was a Chrome extension. You know the mental health startup I was talking about. Mm -hmm. They were building a pawn blocker as a Chrome extension. Um, and a uh, and, and there's a lot of work on the back end and DevOps and so on. So really platform agnostic. Okay. Um, regarding the work I did for them, in one case, I hired three leads for the company. Three, like tech leads? Yeah, tech leads, managers, architects, people like this. Mm -hmm. Some cases, uh, you know, it was just technical leadership. In some cases, it was people management, but leads of whatever kind. In another case, I helped evaluate a CTO for the company in two other cases. Gave my input on a certain person, whether he's a fit for the job. In another case, I helped set up an iOS team by hiring multiple engineers for the company. Recently, a friend of mine called me because his iOS team has trouble. Um, the, the engineers feel diffident. The coding practices are not on par with Android in the backend. Mm -hmm. uh, so he wants me to kind of both inspire people and also um, tell them what they need to do because they are feeling helpless. Like they're, like they're saying, we know we are asked to do a better job, but what does that mean? Mm -hmm. okay. So it's both, both inspiration and concrete technical guidelines. In another case, and I'll just stop with this, in another case, I evaluated a company's code and um, told them not to build on this code anymore and to rebuild it from scratch. Mm, that had to hurt. Are these folks, uh, so at the time when they're really feeling the pain, they're really in the hot seat, they're a couple years in probably, they've tried a bunch of things that's not working. What is their, what does their customer base look like at that point? You know, are they, are they, ha you know, like, I don't know, thousands of monthly active users, hundreds of thousands, millions, like why is the, why is the, what kind of scale do you help them reach? So typically I have worked with relatively early stage companies. One of them, for example, it was B2B. Their biggest customer was paying them $200K a year. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and uh, their servers were serving a billion requests a month. A billion a month? Yeah. Okay. But the others have been at a slightly lower scale. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, the scale as measured in traffic was low, but the value was high. Okay. So, but you can uh, kind of generalize all of these as relatively early stage, not so early stage that they don't have a product out. They have a product out. It has reached a certain level of usage, but it's not a scalability, scalability thing where, you know, you have like 100 million or 10 million users. They're, they're not, well, so they're, they're just at that early stage where they've got traction. They've sort of proven the concept. They've either, either getting tons of requests or, or they're, paying a significant amount of money for the for the platform or the SaaS or whatever it is. And so the founder and the investors are pretty sure there's something here, but the code just keeps the, the app just keeps falling over and the teams are getting frustrated. There's like a lack of maybe a lack of technical leadership. Maybe it's I mean, it feels like I'm trying to think back through the cases you mentioned. It feels like in every case, it's a lack of technical leadership. And a lack of management leadership, because every technical problem, when you root cause it, is a management problem, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, I, you, and that's what I meant. So, like, so, like, they don't know how to. This is just. It could be screwed up at any point, but it's it's manager slash leadership problem on the tech side. Yes, and it manifests in multiple dimensions. Typically, it's not focused only on, let's say, scalability. Right. All right. All right. So, it could be. Volume, high value, high volume. Okay. Uh, and you said not hardware. 
All right. So how would, if you can think back, even if you wanted to search your email or wherever it might be, um, when you get introduced by referral to one of these founders who's in this situation, how does the friend of a friend introduce you? Or like, do you know how they would describe you? They would typically say something like, he's a senior experienced engineer. He used to work at Google. He can help you with the problems you're facing or something of that kind. In some cases, I'm introduced as a software engineer, which may make people think that, you know, I bang on a laptop and, you know, just churn out code. Yeah. In those cases, I tell them that's not exactly what I do. Like, I can do that, but that's not what I'm doing right now. Yeah, you're... It sounds like you're kind of a cross between a CTO or VPE or like almost like a recruiter. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, the way I would look at it is recruiting is also part of the CTO's responsibilities, right? So it really falls under the CTO umbrella. I mean, it depends on how big the company is, right? Like how, sure. how many, yeah, how many employees are we talking about at a, at a company that would be your sweet spot? Typically 10 or so engineers, okay. though the biggest has been 30, 40 engineers. Okay. And when there's a CTO, like you just pointed out, the dynamic is different. There, I'm more like helping him succeed rather than helping the company as a whole succeed. Right. And typically, I'm called in when there's a skill gap. For example, he doesn't know iOS. Okay. And there, I'm more like, a, for lack of a better word, like my job is to help him succeed. Okay. So in that case, you're right. I'm not playing the CTO role. I'm playing like a VP role. Okay. And what? how do you feel about those gigs where there is a CTO with a skill gap versus there really isn't strong technical leadership? So there's a pro and a con. If there's no CTO, I get to have far more influence on the company's direction and things, you know. For example, I might advise them, look, you can't build more features if you also want to improve the UX and improve the mobile app and improve scalability and do this and do that with a, you know, very small team. Right. So, you know, I get to have more strategic uh, impact and input there if there's no CTO. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, it can also be a messy, messy situation and it might take multiple months to earn trust. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if there's a CTO, typically the problem I get um, is much more contained. Like, for example, our iOS engineers are unhappy and, you know, if the, the quality isn't what we want. So it's uh, typically contained and the first level of validation has been done on the problem. Whereas if there's no CTO, you know, they may say we have a problem with our cloud setup when the problem may have nothing to do with the cloud setup, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, the self-diagnosis thing you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So it would seem to me that having, if the, if there's a CTO and you're focused on a, I, I it makes total sense what you just said. If there's a CTO and they just know that they've got a specific gap and you can fill it, it feels like uh, much more contained. It also feels smaller and potentially less valuable, but you tell me, is the, does the value seem higher or lower or it doesn't correlate? In other words, the fee that you could charge to to help us an existing CTO with a skill gap versus coming in and having a much bigger influence on the, the entire company. The fee wouldn't be any lower if there's a CTO. Mm-hmm. If anything, it might be slightly higher mm-hmm. because the company is typically at a bigger scale if they have a CTO. So even if the problem is smaller, a, a, a smaller problem for a bigger company is a bigger problem, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's true. Or a smaller value add when multiplied by a bigger number, like more millions of dollars at stake. Okay. Is a, it has more value, right? So yeah. 
So I would say that if there's a CTO, I can charge at least as much. So that seems like a more, for you, for you, that would seem like a more attractive avenue to pursue, I would think, because it's a smaller, more contained problem and the value is perhaps even higher. Sure. So why would you want a bigger problem for less money when you could solve a smaller, for you, smaller scope of work for more money? And so what, what kind of skill gaps are you capable of? So, so if we focused on this, there's a CTO and mm -hmm. there's like one thing that they're not good at. Maybe it's iOS, maybe it's Android, maybe it's mm -hmm. Azure, like that for some reason they need to be on Azure or whatever, you know, they have experience with AWS, but not this, and they have to be there for some reason, or it's something, I don't know. It's like, well, you tell me, what are some of the gaps that you've helped people with? What are the things that you feel like you could come in and be perceived as an expert about a particular thing, even to another sort of fellow CTO type? Sure. Uh, there are a couple of kinds of skill gaps I can think about. One is a specific technology like iOS mm -hmm. or image processing. You know, you talk about niching down. Mm -hmm. I am an expert in image processing on the iPhone, which is like a double niche, mm -hmm. image and video processing. So in some cases, I've been called in for that. Mm -hmm. Or it could just be iOS without image processing. So a specific technology is one kind of a skill gap. Mm -hmm. Now, other kind of a skill gap is <laughs> to put it impolitely, sometimes you have CTOs who are CTOs in namesake <laughs> or they're more junior and, you know, they are still building up their career. It's their first startup. As a technical co-founder, you know, they are also the CTO. But really, you know, in some cases, they are like, please advise us, right? Because you're clearly ahead of us. Or it could also be someone very experienced, more experienced than me, perhaps. But he has become only a people manager for the last five to eight years. Mm. And he has forgotten everything technical. The third case of a skill gap might be more of a market thing. If an American company wants to set up an India office, how do I help them hire? How does hiring work in India? You know, how do I advise them on, you know, some of the cultural issues and how do you work effectively with Americans as opposed to Indians and all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. So skill gaps could be in, in these categories. Well, that last one is very interesting because you mentioned that you wanted to start selling into the U.S. and other developed countries, right? Yes. Who would want to set up an Indian location? Why would they want to do that? One common reason at the early stage is just the cost. So to save money. Yes. The other is um, access to talent and ease of hiring. Mm -hmm. Can't hire in the U.S. fast enough or, or it's too expensive or, or nobody wants to work. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so tell me more about this. Have you done this before? It sounds like you have. I mean, I've had a couple of conversations, but they didn't convert into an actual paying engagement. This, is, this seems, I mean, this is just hypothetical. I don't know if there's any demand for this. But if you've had a couple of conversations and people are sort of interested, then it makes me feel like there might be. It certainly makes sense financially if you could, if you could develop your own team in a place where the you could pay people a, a nice salary for them that isn't painful to you and and they're actually people who want to work then what are so if, let's say let's say um just explore this for a second if someone who's thinking about doing that it's like we can't get enough developers at a price we, we want at a price that we can afford wouldn't they so wouldn't my alternatives be like going with like a huge shop over there like why was why would i set up my own shop I mean, I'm talking about uh, hiring on their payroll, not outsourcing a project and not even staff augmentation, but they want their own team. 
Why would they want that versus staff org or like an agency or something? Well, the typical reasons you have a greater sense of mission. Mm -hmm. um, they'll be more amenable to following your directions and they'll understand the company culture more. Mm -hmm. And it'll just feel like one team rather than, you know, different people from different things okay. somehow working okay. together. I would imagine it would also contribute to their valuation if they were going to, if they were looking yes. to be acquired or whatever. All right. And the costs are also lower. And many competent people don't want to work for a services company. So, you know, then you're getting access to often second tier talent. Or if you're getting access to first tier talent via an agency, it's extremely expensive. In which case you might as well hire in the US. Okay, that's, that's good to know. All right, so what what stage, so if we, if we think back to your kind of description of, of ideal buyers from your past client list, and we're talking about they currently have maybe 10 engineers, are they a candidate for a service like this, like setting up their own office? Or would that be something that a larger client would want? In some cases, um, smaller clients have wanted that. In, in some cases, they've already established a US office and they're expanding. And you know, there are dozens of people in the US and they want to expand further. Mm -hmm. So one company I spoke to has probably 70 people in the US and 80 or so in India. Yeah, that, that is a little bit more what I would expect just as an outsider. I would feel like they would have probably, it, seem, it seems to me that I totally could be wrong, but just from other conversations with folks who do stuff like you, that, that the, the company is fairly mature by the time they would want to do something like this. Is that is that your experience or like someone is like brand new, they they have some like fascinating demo, they've got a great pitch deck, they get 500k or a million bucks from investor based on uh, proof of concept or something. And then step one, it, like where the developer that made that there must be there must be an engineer that made that are they usually like technical co founder or was it like a non-technical founder and they just, you know, got somebody from Upwork or TopTal or something and to just cobble this thing together? Like, is it possible that they have no team? Um, no team at all anywhere in the world is a rare situation. Mm -hmm. Like there are one or two that have done this. They've uh, hired some freelancers and they've, uh, yeah. Uh, but typically they do have a team. Either they're setting up their company and they're setting up both the US and the India office simultaneously. Or the more established case that we talked about, having 70 people in the US and 80 people in India. In that case, the nature of the engagement is not so much set up an India office, but help us with this problem we are facing in the India office, such as attrition or people not being engaged or whatever it may be. Okay. Okay. That seems all right. So for something for something specific like how would you scope an engagement if somebody came to you and said, we've got uh, 10 or 15 devs in the US or wherever and we want to set up an office where we can sort of double that we can double our team size uh, but to control costs we want to do it in India let's say mm -hmm. how would you what am I looking at let's say I'm the client what am I looking at can can you give me a ballpark that's what I was going to say can you give me a ballpark for setting up uh, a, a 10 person iOS team in India like what's your what's your reaction there what's your gut instinct Gut instinct is a million dollars a year. For total out-of-pocket or for you? No, no, um, for the company in terms of salaries. Right. How much do they need to pay you to do it? So typically hiring one person, um, I charge $19K mm -hmm. 
and this is when I kind of say that this person is good. After that, whether they join or not, that's kind of out of my control. So it's not really 19K for each person hired, but 19K for each person I sign off on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if they have a smaller budget, we can kind of uh, limit the number of people I'll interview and say, you know, why don't you do the first round of interviews? Find me the 10 best people. Mm-hmm. And if we scope it down that way, I can do it for much less than 19K. Okay, so it's a pure recruiter model. So you would say like it, it's this much to to locate qualified candidates, but just right. not not even uh, and vet. You, well, you must vet them to a certain extent to say that they're qualified. So it's find and vet qualified candidates who'd be interested in this particular position. Do you help them like like draft the job description and and decide what the makeup of the overall team should be before you start hiring, or is that they just Absolutely. do that? Yes, Absolutely. Okay. So that's the strategy session. Like what skills do you need and why do you need them? Mm-hmm. And what business outcomes do you want? And you need to go back and plan the hiring for all of those. Mm-hmm. So that six months later, you don't say, why is this not happening? Right. Mm-hmm. And then what about leads? If you have so many engineers, do you also need a designer? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how will the front end engineers build a polished app? Mm-hmm. And then what about managers? What about the architect role? And right. who is playing the PM role here? So you help them design an org chart, basically. Exactly. And then, and then it's like a nineteen k dollar sign on each one of those positions. Right. So the strategy session costs nineteen k, and I also write JDs if necessary. I also connect them with a couple of recruiters in India whom I know and have worked with. Mm-hmm. Though that's not something kind of which I take responsibility for. More in terms of just connecting them. Mm-hmm. Then I set up an interview process. Okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to give them a take-home assignment to begin with? Or is it going to happen after one round of interview? Mm -hmm. And what are the areas that we are going to evaluate for each of these positions? Mm -hmm. And so so this is all the strategy session, planning it. Then the interviews, yeah, for each person, it's a separate fee if they want me to do it. Or if they say, okay, this is great. Now we'll go ahead and execute. That's also fine. A middle ground can also be training their engineers on hiring. For that, I would charge four k dollars per person. Say that again. There's a middle ground is training their engineers what on hiring effectively. Okay, so you maybe hire the you hire this sort of senior level of the org chart and then teach them how to fill in underneath. Or also the junior people to hire each other. If you have a front end engineer, can he interview other front end engineers? Hmm. So train them on. So basically, the way I put it is: Do you want me to give you a fish, or do you want me to teach your team to fish? <laughs> okay. The second uh, one will uh, result in a self-sufficient organization rather than being dependent on me. Right, right. But presumably slower or presumably uh, take longer for them to actually get it right. The biggest problem with that is the opportunity cost. They say we need to deliver software yesterday. How can we have our engineers do Got this? Got it. Got it. Okay. So this, uh, this, is, this sounds like a really nice, um, this particular service. I wouldn't call this... And overall, this is like very narrow compared to all of the things that you've listed that you do, but it's very easy to get your head around this particular one. And it, you know, it, it's a nice theory. It's a hypothesis that, that there would be demand for something like this. And it's pretty easy to tie it to, you know, cost savings or, um, or, you know, solving some of these problems that they are experiencing just based on the, on something being wrong resulting in the tech being garbage you know so they're disappointing people who they don't want to disappoint they don't know what to do about it or they think you know in 
perhaps they think they want to set up an Indian office or you or you talk to them and diagnose the situation and you're like, well, we could set up an office over here and that will solve these problems. It's very easy to get your head around. And you've got, it sounds like you've got three different tiers of service where you could just do the, um, just do the design, you know, the strategy part, you could do that and do the hiring. Um, like you can, you can give them options so they can dial up or down depending on how fast they want to go and how much they want to spend. So that, that feels really, that feels like something I would create a sales page for. And then, um, perhaps, I mean, there's a whole, there's like a million other things going on. There's like, um, a bunch of other things that I'm ignoring right now in terms of like things you could do. I was also kind of interested in the, the, the image and video processing on iOS, because you know me, I'm always going to like something that's super specific because somebody's going to yes. know they, they, even someone non-technical and non-technical founder is going to know they have that problem. Yes. So that, just as a quick tangent, that would be a really interesting thing to write a book about because it'd be like, who wrote the book on this? And we've got this problem is, you know, and then either, you know, does anybody know who's an expert on this? If there was a book on that by you, I would, assuming anybody's got this problem, I would think that that'd be a really good lead source, but that's just an aside. So if we stick with this sort of, what, what do you call this? That sort of team design or like, is there a name that you usually use to describe this setting up an office for people? So um, for setting up an office, I don't have a name, but if they already have a team, even if it's a skeleton team, they just say help us with hiring. So I just call it hiring. Maybe I need to come up with a better name. Hmm. And I do have a sales page, which is my homepage. And I have a bunch of packages with public prizes. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. And is this one of them? Yes, this is one of them. All right. But, but currently this is, this is more, this is way more specific than hiring in my mind. Yeah. Setting up the India office is not one of the things that's listed on the website. Yes. Okay. So it, it would be pretty easy to take a first pass at a sales page for this thing that had really clear pain, dream, fix language and three tiers or, you know, three ways to engage. Yep. And, and you could make guesses about who's the, the ideal buyer. And then you could go back to your network with that particular offering and say, Hey, I'm doing this new thing. Um, could you give me some feedback on the page? Do you have any, does this make sense? You know, could you just review this for me? You know, kind of like, Hey, could you do me a solid and mm -hmm. take a look at this and see if it makes sense. If you have any questions, I'm, I'm trying to work on the FAQ section. I want to get some actual frequently asked questions, um, and just get feedback from people in your network about it and see if Rolodex moments happen. See if they're like, you know what? I know somebody who ju was just telling me they can't hire fast enough or was just telling me that they, they can find devs, but they're too expensive or the devs are all prima donnas or they want to get rid of their agency. They're feeling held hostage by this agency and they're over a barrel and they want to just build their own team, uh, but they can't, you know, but they don't want to do it in the U S or they can't do it in the U S or something like that. And, sure. and see if you could set, you know, and have like the call to action be like, you know, set up a phone call to see if there's a fit and it's just like a link to your Calendly or something. Um, and you could, it sounds like you've already got prices too. So you could even put prices on the page. So if, if someone did come to that page and they're like, wow, this is like totally reasonable, you know, cause you're talking about it in very specific terms. Like if you need this many people, it's going to probably a million, yep. you're going to have a million dollars a year in salary. It's going to, my fee will be a tiny fraction of that. 
Mm-hmm. So it's so compared to what they're prepared to spend, it's no big deal. Uh, and then if they like want to talk to you just to, you know, it's like, ah, you know, a friend recommended us, but, you know, or, or spoke highly of you, but we still want to talk to you to to kind of sniff around and see if we feel like we have a warm and fuzzy feeling. And then boom, off to the races. So this this feels like a really high value, easy to justify productized service. Makes sense. Yeah. So let's say let's say you had that sales page that was specific to that thing. Mm-hmm. It's got a name. It's, it's it's like very productized. It's it's packaged, right? And then mm-hmm. you. So then now let's finally loop back to the the stuff that didn't work. So you you did a bunch of really smart things like that that can work. The for any of them not to work, like the the probably most common reason that something like you know, asking your network to share information about you in these channels that you're not in and you sharing information about yourself in channels that you are in, looking for partners and talking to VCs and investors. And all of these things are, all of these things are really good. If they didn't work, what, I mean, the main reason is that the, it would feel like the positioning is not clear enough for them to connect the dots. If there is, cause you, you know, you've, if you think of the reasons people aren't buying, like the first one is they're not aware of you, but, but through this networking, they perhaps let's assume they the right people are aware of you. People you could help are aware that you exist. Mm-hmm. The next thing is like, well, they don't they don't get that what you do is a solution to a problem they have. That's the very likely that is a that is. Uh, let me just say that is a common problem that people are like, oh, nice to meet you. What do you do? And you tell them, and they're like, okay, and like they don't get it. Like they don't get that you could help them. Yep. If they do get it that you could help them. Obviously, they, they, if they don't have the problem, they don't have the problem. So let's assume they have the problem. Then it could be that they don't believe they don't believe it. So like they say, all right, I'm aware of you. I know that you solve a problem that I have, but I, I don't believe that you actually can do it. Whether they don't trust, it's not you specifically. Like they don't, it could be that they don't trust you or it could be that they don't trust themselves to follow through or it could be that they just don't think it's going to work for, for some reason. So they just don't find it credible that this solution could solve their problem. Yes. And then if they do believe all those things, they're aware of you, they understand how you can help them, they believe that your solution will fix their problem. The last one is the problem is not worth as much as you're charging. So in other words, it's worth, you're charging more than it's worth to them to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's the problem because you said that when you do get someone on a phone call, you can, if they're a good fit, they'll close the deal. So I don't think it's the price. And I don't think it's, so I don't think it's the last one. I don't think it's the first one because you did a whole bunch of things that are smart things to do to increase awareness in a market. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's one of the middle two where either they haven't connected the dots between what you do and something that, a problem that they have. It's all, more likely it's that. And then this the, the less likely one in my opinion, just gut instinct is that, yeah, we'd really like to, we'd, we'd, we'd really like to find someone that could really do this for us but you're not the person for some reason that just feels doubtful for the same reason as the, the price uh, why I don't think it's pricing because when you do finally talk to someone, then they're like, you can close the deal. So it feels like a positioning problem or, you know, could be messaging, which doesn't surprise me because you do like 50 million things. <laughs> sure. So, so let's get specific about when you, when you like, let's pick a slack. You said you're in a bunch of slacks, like ex Googlers and stuff like that. Yes. Would ex-Googlers, or sorry, would people 
your ideal buyers with like sort of non-technical founders who've got a few years of experience under their belt and they're very frustrated because their balls are dropping. They wouldn't be in there, right? Like they're not in that room or are they? I mean, the vast majority of people aren't ex-Googler, so they're not in that room. Right. So who are you in a group where those people would be? Or do you know people that are like, like those actual people? I mean, uh, two of the people uh, I've worked with um, are ex-Googlers and they're kind of connected with me via the Slack or whichever way it might be since, you know, there's a connection anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, or a WhatsApp group, whichever the thing may be. Um, now, I'm sure there are quite a few Googlers who could benefit from my services mm-hmm. because there are like probably hundreds or thousands of Google alumni who are doing startups at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's someone somewhere, but we haven't been able to connect. Mm. So check this out. So this this new well, no, it's not a new idea, but the, but the idea of having this new sales page for building a building a team like mm-hmm. an in, internal remote team probably would be of interest to lots of people in there. Like like you're saying, right? I'm just kind of saying back to you the same thing, right? Sure. Like that particular thing might be super interesting. Um, maybe maybe. I feel like some of the other, the other, like the CTO skill up stuff I wrote down is like the highly specific, you know, image processing on iOS or the CTO and name only, you know, they, they were promoted from lead dev and they're really not quite ready or the rusty skill set because they're just managing people for the last few years that those feel a lot less likely, maybe the image one, but that feels like a much, much more of a long shot than the set up an Indian team. Just thinking about that one slack, does that do you agree or not really? I mean, yes, I do agree because if someone is setting up an India team, um, it is going to be a substantial engagement, and there's an immediate need. Mm-hmm. And the thing that the the thing that I like about it the most is it's the least personally threatening to the other compared to the other ones. The other ones force the ex Googler to admit something they might not want to admit. Absolutely. They don't want to say they have a skill gap, but they'll per- be perfectly happy to say we can't hire fast enough. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you set up a sales page for this thing and then reached out and just in the in the in all of these slacks, if you did another round of this very smart move, the very smart move to do, um, you you know, outreach to I think you said you did cold outreach to a list of startups that should be in your target market and um, asking networks to share looking for partners who would you partner with on this one this one i think with a design agency yeah that could be but would it be the design agency that wants to set up a tech function or would it be that they have clients that need a team set up yeah they have clients that need a team set up so for example these guys are going to deliver a beautiful intuitive design and then what happens someone needs to implement it right so you could go you could network your way into like some group of like figma Mm-hmm. users and or product people right and and say like hey you know if you've got any clients that are really looking to step on the gas and uh you don't want them to spend all of their money on an engineering team because you want to still have a piece of the pie mm-hmm. um okay so that makes sense that makes sense so the and the question would be so you know you you're at a cocktail party because i know you're always at cocktail parties <laughs> and and you say you like oh yeah I, I run a design agency we've got like a bunch of Figma jockeys that are banging out you know uh-huh. whatever you call it UX wireframes whatever they are clickable prototypes you're like oh you know let me know do you have any clients who'd love to set up a 
set up an engineering team, a developer team in India so that they, you know, uh, aren't burning through their runway faster than they need to. It's just so non-threatening, right? They, they would probably yes. be like, yeah, I think I do. Or I could, oh, I'll run that by. It's like there's something in it for them. So that does make sense. And now the VC investor thing or, or private equity or something like that, I, I've talked to a few people who've gone down this path. And it's on the surface, it makes a lot of sense because they have all the, you know, portfolio companies, they're probably all tech mm-hmm. and they're probably all going to have a similar set of problems, which is they can't hire fast enough or they, they, the quality, the code quality is just too low because they're going too fast and they're, they can't get people, you know, good enough people or something is just going wrong. Mm-hmm. But whenever, but when I've gone deeper on this, their tendency is to throw money at the problem to solve the near term and they just go with like a huge, um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's like, there's like one or two usual suspects for like 400 pound gorilla in India that just has like tens of thousands of developers or something crazy. Mm-hmm. And they just write the check and, and, and it's just like instantaneous. There's no, you know, there's, there's, they have a huge bench. So it's just like, write the check, get it done and move on. Uh, and they're not as concerned, but they're not as concerned about hiring up a team, but let me think about that. Let me think back to that. Why would they? If it helps, I can tell you what the the VCs have told me. Yeah, yeah, please. So one of them told me that um, this is too core. Whatever is ancillary, we can support them, be it HR, legal, etc. Mm-hmm. But marketing or user acquisition and building the product, these are core things that the startup needs to have in-house. Got it. Was one uh, uh kind of funds philosophy another said that we tried it out it didn't work we had full timers it didn't work out then we shifted to consultants then it didn't work out so we have stopped <laughs> that and the third said we don't invest unless there's a cto wait say, say that last one again please the third vc fund said that we don't invest unless there's a cto already on staff hmm. so at that point he has gotten things more or less under control and if something is needed um he can uh kind of bring in others, but it would like, we don't want to force you down their throat. It'll send the wrong signal. True. Okay. Because we are also investing in them. Okay. So that tells me that the conversation was around bringing you in as a consulting CTO, not as someone to build a team in India for them. So, right. I mean, whatever it may be, right? Like irrespective of the specific services, it was like, they'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. So I, I, I am not surprised. I mean, I am not surprised to hear what you just said, which is that for those two core functions, they want to hire in-house. Mm-hmm. Although I've heard different, I've heard different that that they will just bring in other people, but it doesn't make sense to me. So I feel like I got bad information because what you say, what you're saying, makes way more sense. And, and the, the argument of, or the, or the point that the person, that last person made was like, we don't want to jam a CTO down their throat. It's like, that would send the wrong message. It's like, yeah, that I agree. That doesn't make, that would be bad. It's like replacing the drummer in the Beatles. You know, it's like, oh, that, yes. it's like, uh, the drummer stinks. You're out. That's like <laughs> very bad for the other three people in the band. So, yeah. okay. So I, I, I've, again, can't guarantee anything, but my hypothesis is if you could put together a compelling sales page for that one thing, the the building up the Indian office, the building up the Indian team of full-time employees, it'll cost you, you know, like net, uh, sorry, uh, sort of total cost of ownership of the offices, something like a million dollars a year. 
Mm -hmm. and it and you could ballpark you know you said did you say the 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 design of the org chart is 19k also is like the same price as yes all that comes under the strategy session the hiring strategy Mm -hmm. be it the org chart be it the uh, roles be it how many front-end engineers do we need and that's 19k usd yes okay and then if they want you to start hiring it's 19k per qualified candidate exactly okay it's a little weird that it's the same number it's almost confusing got it maybe i'll change yeah i would i would make i would i know it's stupid <laughs> but that confused me before and it, and it and i just it makes sense hearing it from you it made sense immediately yeah so if you could right so it's oh man i really like this one i really like this one i i would i would want you to test the heck out of this because mm-hmm. And find out, and if you get objections, find out specifically what they are in that list of four things. It won't be awareness because you're talking to someone. Uh, it could be that they don't see the solution to the problem, but it won't be because they will see the solution to the problem because it's obvious what problem this solves and it's a common problem. And then it becomes, you know, some kind of the credibility one is like they don't believe it'll work for some reason. Why don't they believe it'll work? It could be them. It could be... Um, it could be that, I don't know, what are some reasons why somebody would be like, yeah, it would be, it would be nice to have a full-time team that we, you know, of 10 people that we only have to pay a million dollars a year. That would be amazing. But what are some objections probably are things like, but it'll take too long to get them all hired and trained. We need to move faster than that. Or it could be like, um, we believe that someone from the core founding team would need to be there to manage them. And we don't want to be traveling that much or um, the, the, we don't believe that you can guarantee us high quality applicants, like as good as US developers. Um, what are some other objections? Oh, so typically, I mean, like one specific objection I've heard here is, we don't want to outsource the hiring to you. We want to sign off. And in that process, we'll get to know whom we are hiring and a bond will be formed both ways. I have heard that exact complaint in similar scenarios. So they don't want you to do the hiring part. They just want you to bring them qualified candidates and then they'll decide like from whether it's a culture fit or whatever they want to vibe. They want to vibe with the candidates and see if, see if they're a good fit. Oh man. Yes. All right. And in this case, they have a hiring process already. If you ask them, how do you hire a mobile engineer? Mm-hmm. They'll tell you. So they want to follow the same process in India. They don't want help on the core hiring. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they want some advice on the local market conditions. Mm-hmm and how you go about it. So for example, in India, salaries are invariably um, decided based on the previous salary. Whereas, as I understand, in some states in the US, that's illegal I've to never ask heard what it. was your previous salary. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, it. It's probably true. I've never heard of people doing that. Yeah. So, so there are some things that are different here mm-hmm. that you need to do differently in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that could be the thing because I don't do sourcing. Recruiters do that. Right. So if they want to do this, what do you mean you don't do sourcing? Oh, sourcing as in get me 100 CVs of front end engineers, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Right. Okay. Um, so the, the, the recruiters specialize in that they have access to databases and networks and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's what they do. Once the people come in, I evaluate them, such as by conducting interviews or take home assignments or what have you. Yep. But if yep. the US team wants to do that, then I'm uh, focusing on an advisory role. Yep. Okay. I love it. So you basically, you, you'll either, if you want, if they want you to vet them, you will, but if not, 
then fine. It's so you, and you don't do anything. You really don't do anything else. Um, you're not you're not finding the resumes. And if they were like, no, we'll vet them ourselves, then you're you're pretty much. Would you would you oversee the recruit? Like, would you be the one that got the recruiters to bring in the resumes? Like, are you, you outsource that piece, or would you tell them, here's a recruiter, they'll get you 100 resumes. Um, you can either give them to me to vet, or you can do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, I typically connect them, but I do more than just send an introductory email. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I know one lady who specializes in hiring only backend engineers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she has an approach of quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. So, based on all these things, I, I'll kind of connect and coordinate, mm -hmm. but not so much as subcontract. Yep. Finally, okay. it is the two sides working together. Good. I might also bring in people from my network, be it engineers, managers, architects, if they're interested. Mm -hmm. That's more of an informal help. It's not part of the engagement per se. Right. Okay. Yeah. This sounds. This sounds. This ticks a lot of boxes. So, it. I feel like it's very easy to connect the dots between what you do and a problem that they have, and the the number you can give them numbers. You can very easily describe what the participate your participation would be and what the optional pieces are, and give prices for all of those things. Um, and then there's, you know, there'd be some list of objections, perhaps, and those either you could, either you could learn from in reverse, or you could just be like, oh, well, this client's just not that good of a fit, because the objections they're bringing indicate that they're, they're not ready for this, they're not, or they're not prepared to commit the amount of money that they need to, or something, they're just not ready. Got it. Yeah, so I, this, that is what I would do. If you're looking for, like, action items from the conversation, mm -hmm. I would draft up that sales page because you could, you could start with just like, like a, a non-marketing, non-sales, just a description, almost like a timeline of what would be involved just to like mm -hmm. share it with, with somebody like me or other people in like, uh, other fellow consultant types, not clients, but just like, like just to, just to get your own head around it. And, and say like, okay, this is what it would look like. This is how, it, make sure you're charging enough. It sounds like you're really comfortable with your prices already, but, and then say, all right, let me draft this up as a sales page, bounce it off your network and, and see if anybody has a Rolodex moment. You know, if they're like, oh man, this would be perfect for somebody I know. And, and set up, and with the goal being set up as many phone calls as humanly possible with people who might be interested in this and have conversations with them, take tons of notes about any objections or questions that they ask, and then plow that information right back into the page before the next phone call. And, and just sort of like, you know, t take the, the sales page on a world tour and say like, <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to make this page better. I want to make sure everybody understands it. I want to make sure it answers anybody's questions. So I'm trying to find all the, the questions that anybody might have about this. Mm -hmm. And you know, maybe what are the guarantees? Like how long do, how long do you, what, what will churn be? Like what will be employee churn be? All that stuff. It's like, uh, and then, you, and you could take some of your other services and layer them on after the fact. So like, you know, at some point you have filled the org chart as promised or it is filled as promised. And then it's like, okay, you could stay on perhaps as like, um, uh, in, a, in an advisory role to keep the team happy and humming along and, and we're advising the person who is doing that. So if there's like a VPE there, or whoever the top on-site person would, would be. Makes yeah. a lot of... Yeah, this ticks tons of boxes. And I, I know it's a tiny fraction of all the things you can do, but it's so easy to understand and the incentives and the um, the sort of ego of it, all of the, all of the, relate, the egos involved 
Like nobody, nobody you'd be involved with wants to do that job that you're doing. Nobody's mm -hmm. like, that should be my job. I want to do that. No one's going to want to do that. So it's like the perfect thing for you to be like, hey, I can do this. This makes a lot of sense. Because as you point out, some of the other services I offer, um, I may have to disagree with their decisions and then we get into tricky territory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody wants to hear their babies ugly. No one wants to hear rewrite yes. the code base. Yes. But everybody wants to hear, hey, we've, <laughs> we've got 10 developers ready to go. <laughs> it's done. Or just, it's just so, it's so much more aspirational and optimistic and, and yeah, it's, it's a nicer feel. Anyway, so if that's something that you enjoy doing or would be happy to do, that's when I would pick, take the sales page on a world tour. If you want to, um, uh, shoot me a link, like if you draft up a Google doc with like a, um, an outline for the sales page, I'd be happy to take a look at it. I'll do that. Thank you very much. Cool. All right. Has this helped at all? Or do you, I mean, does it feel like something or are you just being nice to me and saying, yeah, great idea? <laughs> no, no, I'm very happy to have an action item. Cool. And since I kind of, um, since I respect you coming from a respected or a trusted source, right? It means I can execute without having to um, kind of ask myself 10 different questions about this. Right. So that's very helpful. Thank you. Oh, good. Great. All right. Uh, any other questions before we wrap up? Um, I also have a few more things I, I was thinking of doing. Many of the ideas come from you. I'll just quickly mention them. Uh, if anything is worth commenting on, would love to hear. If not, that's also fine. Yeah, go for it. Um, one is to make LinkedIn slideshows because currently I do YouTube. Mm -hmm. Also to get quoted by journalists as an expert on a certain topic. Mm -hmm. So that will generate pull rather than push me calling people. Right. And speak at conferences. Mm-hmm. And guest on YouTube channels or podcasts. Guess I've made a beginning today, but in general, I could do more <laughs> of this. Right, right. Uh, those things are all, they're more tactics, right? So those are more tactics like you did before. And the, the success or failure of those tactics will depend 100% on the positioning or like the messaging, like, like that, that people in the audience of, you know, air quotes audience or the people on LinkedIn reading the slideshows or whatever. Mm-hmm that they see themselves immediately. They say, this is for me. First thing they see is, is like, oh, this is for me. And then they swipe to the next slide or they listen to a few more minutes. And it's like, I totally have this problem. This is exactly my problem. And, and this is the solution I'm looking for, or this is a possible solution that I hadn't thought of before. And, Got it. You know, so it, like any of these things could work. I mean, you could use hot air balloons and skywriters, but <laughs> the message is the part that you have to get right so that people can digest the information from like a cold start, right? Like all of this stuff in your head, it's, it's in there. You live with it. It's all the stories that you have from years and years of experience. Mm -hmm. And then someone's meeting you cold for the first time and you have to boil it all down to something they care about and not, and have it not be like, uh, I'm not saying this is you, but this is what most people do where it's like, Oh, I can do a million things. I can help everyone. I can do anything you need. And it's like, okay, but, how how does that help me like how like so it so any of these things could work i wouldn't um i what i would do so the, a couple of things you mentioned have well everything has pros and cons the i like to test stuff test my messaging to make sure that it's clicking with the people i want it to click with the cheapest fastest possible way and then once i once i know that i've got the messaging right i've got the words you know 
configured in a way that clicks with the people I want to have conversations with, then I'd start to like put a little bit more effort into the polish or the, the, the give going to other people's audiences or cause you know, cause it's, you know, it's work and it takes time and you want it to produce some kind of results or you want to have an impact for this particular audience that you're trying to reach or trying to serve. So it's on us as the expert or the authority or the, whatever the thing is that we're good at. It's mm -hmm. on us to figure out what language to use so that the people we can help who don't know anything that's in our head and, mm -hmm. and, and are only going to hear and remember one thing that comes out of our mouth. What's that one thing? So you could do Odd. that. Yeah. So I cheap ways to test that are like in tweets, in Slack rooms, in LinkedIn groups, in DMS, um, in maybe once you start to, f you feel like you start feeling like you've got, you starting to find something you want to zoom in on it or test a particular, a particular message. You could maybe set up a webinar. I think people like, uh, you could do cold outreach. If you can make cold outreach work, you know, you've got your messaging down. Um, but, but just sharing it in groups in the Google group, right? The Googlers group and be like, Hey, does mm -hmm. anybody know, you know, does anybody know somebody that's look, that's, uh, experiencing these kinds of symptoms? Can't hire fast enough. Can't afford the people that they find don't want to be, they want to decrease their, uh, monthly burn or whatever, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, whatever it is. And then it, when people start saying yes and want to introduce you, then you know, you're onto something. God. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, but let's say you did have your messaging down. Yeah. Go on, you know, start your own YouTube channel talking about concerns, considerations of hiring in India or like some area of expertise that, um, that makes you unique and differentiates you from other people and like why you're different from just a plain old recruiter or why you're different from someone who maybe do this in the U S uh, yeah, but I would do, I would do the, the, you're, you're in a phase. I think I'm pretty sure you're in a phase where you're trying to figure out the right messaging. You're trying to like dial in the messaging to be something. Yes. That, yeah. So I wouldn't go nuts with anything difficult. I would just do really easy stuff, uh, like social media, maybe, or maybe a mailing list, maybe, maybe um, your own podcast or your own YouTube channel so people can get to know you mm -hmm. and trust you and then be like, you know, whether or not it's, it's, and hopefully it's of interest to them. So those things are, those things are nice because you have total control over them. You don't have to wait and be on someone else's schedule. So maybe a mailing list in a YouTube channel or a mailing list in a podcast. Those are, you know, that, those are my defaults. Got it. Uh, and then promote those things in social media and see if it gets any traction. That's like very, Relatively speaking, that's very easy and you don't have to ask for anyone's permission. You don't have to work on someone else's schedule. Got it. Mm. Right. And any of those things that you mentioned, they could work. It really, it, it really depends on where, you, where you're, it's a, re, it's a refinement. Once you have the messaging and it's like, well, where do my people hang out? Maybe mm -hmm. it's LinkedIn. What do they like on LinkedIn? Do they like videos or do they like slides? Mm -hmm. So it, it just becomes a, you know, iterative kind of optimization of producing and, publishing the mess, uh, the content makes sense. Cool. Were there other, it sounded like you had other things on your list too. I mean, these are the main ones. Okay. So I'm very happy that I have an action item. I'll go work on this. Cool. All right. Well, let's say someone knows someone that they want to introduce you to, where can they go to find out more about what you're doing and maybe get in touch? The best place is my website. I also have my YouTube channel, which I'll mention. Oh, it's good. also linked on the website, but yeah, you can also go directly to YouTube. 
you're more interested in learning about specific topics. Cool. Yeah, send that over after we uh, hang up and I'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Really appreciate My pleasure. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time on Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.